0: Community Church. We are here to help each other worship, live, and rescue like Jesus. For more info on who we are, go to cpmodesto.org. So there's a poet back in the late 1700s named Robert Burns. He was he was Scottish. And uh, he, he ended up kind of coming out, basically being known for uh, a Scottish proverbs, uh, proverb, and it started like this, the best laid plans. Anybody familiar with those words? The idea that the best made plans are always subject to basically error. The, the idea that he had behind his, his proverb was that one shouldn't expect for things to always turn out or go the way that we have them planned. But it's interesting, even though we, we see this over and over again in life, that things don't always go, in fact, things almost rarely go as planned. In fact, the other day, uh, Sherry and I were doing a project in our yard, and, and at the end of the project, I said, that went actually how I planned it. And she goes, and I go, I, yeah, usually, I, I mean, she knows, usually I get angry because it doesn't work out the way I planned it. And, but it actually, for once, this thing actually went the way I envisioned it. But it's interesting because we we have all of this evidence in our lives that things don't often go the way that that things are planned and we tend to have this enduring belief in ourselves and our ability to defy the reality that we know exists. Here's a question that I have for you today, something to kind of wrestle with or or, kind of just think through. What if our plans that we make are born of faulty or worse yet disobedient thinking? What if the plans that you and I make oftentimes are born of faulty thinking or worse yet, disobedient thinking? Now, I know that, that, that that's maybe an easy thing to say. You know, nope, I don't think so, and make a quick decision. But just for the sake of, of processing, for just a moment, let's, let's consider that it's possible. What if we suffer from faulty thinking or even disobedient thinking? As human beings, we, in our nature, uh, have misplaced confidence in our ability to earn, to build, to control, to plan. Essentially, what our natural tendency is is to overstate our relevance in the moment in which we live. That's, that's what we tend to do. We tend to think more of the moment in which we inhabit than we are in that moment. If you have your Bibles, turn to, turn to James chapter four. And I'm gonna start reading in verse 13. Um, James actually, man, he, he talks about this issue that we have and the problem that we have with, with thinking this way about ourselves and the time and space, the season that we inhabit. And, so, and And so in verse 13, he says, come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Okay, so James starts this out by saying, making the statements. He says, "Come now, you who say." So he's characterizing a certain, a certain, uh, an attitude or mentality that is actually he would he would probably say that is unworthy of. Those who are in Jesus Christ. So he's he's saying a, a people who say, "Hey, this is what we're going to do," and they they are people who think think kind of much of their plans. Like it's, it's the, the 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 approach James is taking in this moment is kind of like a father maybe rebuking his children when they behave in a way that is contrary to their family values. It's kind of like James is saying to these believers. He's saying, "Look." what we're doing and the way we're approaching life is not necessarily within keeping of God the Father's values and what he has, is, is instilling into his family. So he's talking about self-confident and, dependent planner, and self-dependent planners who are pretty sure of their preferred outcome. And it's interesting because this period of history was actually marked by significant commercial growth and opportunity in the Roman Empire. And there was actually a number of Jews who were actually leaving Palestine and heading out to the greater Mediterranean region to pursue those opportunities in that growth. Now, I want to say right now, because we're going to kind of unpack this, but, but I want us to understand this that James is not rebuking for people responsibly planning for the future. Nor is he even rebuking or saying that that you can't make a profit. He's not saying those things. He's actually actually not, not commenting on that at all. What he's commenting on is a way of life and an attitude and a mentality that we as human beings have which pits a false view of reality with what really is. And so the rebuke is actually for living and functioning no differently than the world's wisdom. It's basically saying that, that, that come now those who basically think and plan, just like anybody else in the world who doesn't know Christ or have the Holy Spirit within them, come now you who say these things and live this way. Be careful because you don't even know what tomorrow Brings. And so, what's missing from this worldly way of thinking versus what maybe God's calling us to think? And I think it's best expressed in what Paul says in Romans chapter 12. He says this, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship, what Paul says is, he says, look, what our, our act of worship is presenting ourselves sacrificially to God, and, and so we can sing, which is part of worshiping, but we can sing all we want, but if we are not presenting ourselves surrendered to Jesus Christ, then we are not actually worshiping at all. He goes on and he says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of, of your mind. And and that's where I, I think that it's possible that the decisions we make and the plans we make are through faulty thinking and possibly even out of disobedience because one of the things that we have to recognize and remember is that our minds need to be constantly renewed because we don't think right. We don't think like Jesus. And so we need constant mind renewal to think in a way that Jesus thinks. He says, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. It's this idea of of, of God's will, and we'll get to that in just a second, but see, we tend to seek the Holy Spirit and God's kingdom as a clincher for our plans, and then we confidently move on on our own with most things. And, And think about that for a second. Um, when you are thinking through something, when you're making a plan, when you're making a decision, do you begin with asking the Holy Spirit, with seeking God through Scripture, with praying to God, saying, "God, this is where this is this is the decision in front of me, or this is the the situation in front of me, and I want to start here." I would say it is human nature. It's proven that it's human nature. And I would say that probably most of us begin at a place of saying, hey, I think I have a good idea. And then maybe at some point, we invite God into that idea. But I think we start with ourselves and then we start to think, maybe God should have a a place involved in this. How often do we get through some kind of plan or idea or decision and at the end and say, oh, and God, I, I just pray that you'll bless this. How often is, is, is that pursuing the Holy Spirit as kind of a clincher to say, okay, let's tie a bow around this and that'll be good enough. See, in focus here is the planning and decisions that come from human arrogance. And that, that idea is, it's my time, it's my intelligence and my skill in determining the course of future events and my direction. And really, it comes down to this idea that we're kind of acting like a different natured being because our nature is very, very limited. We're finite. We may, we may live 60, 70, 80, 90 years, but that's not actually very long we struggle because that's all we have to, to look at, but, but that's not actually very long. And so what, what, what James is saying is he's saying this, he's saying, how can you being the kind of creatures that you are presume to dictate the course of future events? Being who you are in your nature, we're kind of in, in sometimes those planning and deciding, we actually are, are more trying to have God's nature than our nature in those moments. You see, there's an inescapable fragility of human life and an uncertainty that accompanies being human. And, and we, we experience this all the time, just in the sense that, that how, how, how many times have you had to change because you can't control what's going on around you? How many times have something happened that you did not expect, you did not plan for, and you had to figure out how to live moving forward in the midst of that thing that happened. See, all a, a human's life, and not devaluing the, the the value, the inherent worth of being image bearers, but a human's life is insubstantial and transitory, here a moment, gone in another, yet it's interesting because we are always still kind of caught off guard by death, aren't we? Like, like, like death will... Always inevitably occur, but but how often when we see maybe an accident happen or or even someone gets sick and it happens, we're, we're kind of like, man, I just can't believe that person's gone. But that's actually a very normal. I mean, they say that you know there's the the two inevitabilities in life is death and taxes. Although taxes can be, you know, the date can be changed in a pandemic year. So obviously, it's just really death, um, not always taxes, but but for the most part. Um, and 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 so and so it's interesting because illness, accidental death, human violence, or even the return of Christ can derail or cut short life plans in an instant. It is so quick that things change. You know, um in California, uh, in the last number of years, we have—I think—I don't know if it's been voted on, but I think we've officially added a season because um, we have we have summer and we have fall and we have winter and we have we have uh, spring. I think I did that. No, nope, I did that in order. Okay, and and but 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 we've added one, and so we've got all those four. But then we've added fire season. Um, now let me ask you this: How many of you have like a weather app on your phone? Raise your hand. Okay, most of us, like most normal people, most normal, well-adjusted people have weather apps on their phone. Um, how many of you have, have air quality app on your phone? Wow, you guys are a bunch of losers. Like, like you should, I, here's the thing. Here, and I don't know, maybe I'm just trying to defend myself, but um, I have four weather apps on my phone. Thank you. You're the best. Um, And I have three air quality apps on my phone. So I know what's going on outside all the time. Uh, and I don't I don't know why I have all of those I don't think any of them are actually accurate but but I, I still go to them and I still look at them and and and, and we need to we, we I mean you know if you don't have an air quality app on your phone I don't know who you are if you're some kind of like invincible cyborg because you can't go outside today especially during the summer months without checking the air quality so 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 I mean it's interesting earlier this summer um. It was a Wednesday and I went running in the morning and it was like blue sky, outside smelled like outside, whatever outside smells like. And and then later in the day, I couldn't see very far. It was smoky and I smelled smoke. Like within just a few hours and I looked at my air quality apps, all of them, and they all told me in the morning that it was fine and then in the afternoon they told me it was not fine. And it's interesting because there's some fires that were far away from here, but the wind direction changed and it brought the smoke into the valley and into Modesto. About a day and a half later, it was gone. Why was it gone? Because the air direction changed, the wind direction changed, and it moved all of that out it was here all of a sudden and then it was suddenly gone. And that's how the Bible describes, that's how scripture describes our lives. We are that like smoke that just disappears. We're like the mist that, that just dissipates. Scripture is clear and thematic about the brevity of our earthly life. In Proverbs 27, one it says, do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not, do not know what a day may bring. In Job, when when Job is struggling with God and what's going on in his life, he references the, the brevity and the fragility of his life. He says, remember that my life is a breath. My eye will never again see good as the cloud fades and vanishes. So he who goes down to Sheol does not come up. I loathe my life. I would not live forever. Leave me alone for my days are a breath. Psalm 39, verses five and six says, behold, you have made my days a few hand breaths. And my lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. Selah, surely a man goes about as a shadow. Surely not, for nothing there in turmoil, man heaps up wealth and does not know who will gather. Jesus tells a parable about a guy In the New Testament, he tells a parable about this guy who is very wealthy and he has a whole lot of grain, so much grain that it doesn't fit into all of his barns. And so so he decides to tear down his barns and build bigger barns that will fit all the grain. And then Jesus says in the parable in Luke 12, he says, but God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So see, our problem is that we see our time and our influence as much larger and greater than it is. And the question we have to kind of face and and ask ourselves is, do I really believe what the Bible teaches about the duration and purpose of my life? Do I really believe what God says about the duration and the purpose of my life? Because if I do believe that, there are probably some things that would characterize my life would Be pretty specific. And, and, and so James here says, hey, this is one way. You who say this, this is one way. This is the world's way to live. And chances are good that often we tend to live this way. But he says there's another way. And so in verse 15, he says this. He says, instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. And so he kind of, he contrasts this with verse 13 where he says, so you who say this, instead, you should say this. See, God always has another way of doing and living, but it always requires us to let go of ourselves in order to walk in that way. And no one will naturally walk the way God calls us to walk because To walk God's way requires us to deny ourselves and take up our cross. And so one of the things we need to understand is he says, so instead, you should say, if the Lord wills, we will go do this or that. First of all, what he's saying is this, is that our lives are in the hands of God. We need to know this. And not just know it as information, but we need to know this with everything in our lives. Our lives are in God's hands. Our lives are not in the hands of the economy. Our lives are not in the hands of the government. Our our lives are not in the hands of terrorists, not in the hands of disease, not in the hands of lifestyle, not in the hands of ideology. My life, your life is contingent on God's will his active participation in your everyday life. That's the reality. And and, and so, so often, when, when James says, what you should do is say, if the Lord wills, we will do this or that. We've even broken that down into like a, a tag on, an add-on, haven't we? How many times have you heard someone say like, well, I'm gonna go do this, you know, Lord willing, Lord willing, Lord willing has become kind of like that thing of, man, you look terrible today, no offense. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> but you look awful, no offense. I mean, it's, it's like a nothing statement. And, and oftentimes, even in when we, we, we talk about our plans, when we make plans and we say, well, but Lord willing, we'll do that. It's almost a nothing statement. We, we sometimes think of, of, of these things as almost like magic words. Um, think about this for a second. So often we pray for things and and we pray and we pray in almost a frivolous, maybe light way. We pray and we don't really think about, it's kind of like we're asking God, but then when we say amen, we say amen almost as a, a stamp to say, and God, make this happen. Like, this is my plan. God, this is what I'm praying for. Make this happen. What if we just changed the way we ended our prayers and tried this just a few times? God, you know, I pray that I have a great day. I pray that, you know, we'll do well. I pray that this will go well. I pray that so and so will be safe. In Jesus' name, abracadabra. I think that sounds weird, doesn't it? I mean, it sounds a little off, but is it really in spirit that much different than how we pray? Like, in a lot of ways, we almost might as well be saying abracadabra at the end of prayers because so often we, 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 We invite God to bless what we want as opposed to pursue God for what he wants. And and, and so really, James is not saying, if the Lord wills is just this thing that we say to cover our backs and make sure our plans are successful. What he's giving is a principle and a posture set in our minds that I will do nothing without the permission and the blessing of God himself. That I start with saying, God, I need you to lead me into this. Holy Spirit, I need you to guide me as I take next steps. See, if the Lord wills, forces me to plan with an eternal kingdom perspective. And so we ask the question, is this plan in accordance with the lord's will as expressed in scripture for his people is this plan is what i'm doing next is that in accordance with the lord's will as expressed in scripture for his people is the holy spirit guiding me in this plan in this decision and and so and so and so then james james follows that up and he says instead you ought to say this but he says, as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. And, 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 so, and so here, it's interesting because arrogance actually covers a, a lot more ground than we want it to cover. Arrogance, in reality, because of who God is and who we are, arrogance characterizes us anytime we don't start with God's word and the Holy Spirit. That's where arrogance starts. And and so he says, instead, you, you arrogantly boast about these things. And here's the thing, boasting is not actually a bad thing. Boasting becomes good or bad based on where its focal point is. So for example, give me, think of one thing, one thing that would be a good boast. A good boast is boasting in the fact that my sins are forgiven because of what Jesus did on the cross. You can boast about that all day. If you wanna boast about the fact that Jesus is returning, that's a great thing to boast in. Basically, boasting is good if it is in the right thing, but so often we boast about what we can do, and, and if we've lived with ourselves for any amount of time, we realize that we are not great to boast in because we mess up and fail all the time, to the point where we can't even always trust our thinking. And, and, and so, really, it, it, is, it is reflective of planning and making decisions just like the world. James goes on and he says in verse 16, he says, as it, as it is you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. So the question is this, do I plan just like the world and add on a disclaimer, who shapes and molds us, the world or Jesus Christ? The world says that you should control the duration and the direction of your life. The world says that that as we get better as humanity, as we advance, that we should have greater control, that every, every individual should have the, have the control over what they decide for themselves and that through our medical and technological advances, we should be able to prolong our days as far as we want. And so then, and then, and then James says, who shapes you? And he says, okay, here's the thing. Here's, here's the, just anyone who knows the right they should do and doesn't do it sins. And it's interesting because we talk so often about, well, what's the right thing to do? Here's the thing, and I have this theory that, I think honestly, I think we know the right thing to do. We just have a really hard time doing it because the right thing inevitably requires us to say no to ourselves. I actually think very few people, even in the last year, I think people say, well, what's the right thing to do? I think we know the right thing to do. It just doesn't work with what I want to do. So James says, anyone who knows the right thing to do and doesn't do it, sins. And, 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 and so I, I, think, I think there's this reality that, that, that it doesn't make it easy, but it is fairly clear. And James says, so that's, that's what we need to do. So, 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 what, so here's the question, what do we know? I'll give you three things that we absolutely know and and really no one can disagree with it because it's so clear in scripture. Three things that we know that are right things that should move us to some kind of action or behavior or direction. Number one, what we know, we know our mission is to make disciples. Our mission is to make disciples, calling them to public testimony, that's what baptism is, and teaching them to obey Jesus. Matthew 28 says this, Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So what we know, the right thing that we know is that we are call to make disciples. That's the right thing. And so, if if I'm not making disciples, then I'm sinning because I know it's the right thing to do. And if I know that that's the right thing to do and I don't do it, then it's sin. And everyone who follows Jesus has probably heard this text, this statement from Jesus. And, And the second thing that we know is that our window is very limited and only this moment we are in is guaranteed. Our window is very limited. And really, you have, really, we have this moment right now guaranteed. How many of you, how many of you like woke up this morning and thought to yourself, man, this could be my last morning. Anybody do that? Like no, I woke, I I honest, I woke up this morning, my alarm went off, and the first thing I thought was, why am I getting up at this time and I went, oh, it's Sunday. I have things to do. That's literally what went through my head this morning first thing. I mean, I wasn't totally awake, but, but that's what I thought. I, I would guess that, that everyone in here have some kind of plan for this afternoon. And that plan could be as simple as I'm going to take a nap. That's a plan. You've got big plans for this afternoon. You're going to nap. And, and so, so like we have all kinds of plans, but how often do we recognize in the midst of that that, hey, my window is actually very limited? I may get to that nap today. I also might not. But we don't think that way. The good that lays in front of us is to recognize that we have a limited window, so what we do, what we plan, needs to be significant. Thirdly, this, our path is directed by our obedience to the Bible and submission to the Holy Spirit's leading. Our mission is to make disciples, our window is limited, and our path is directed by obedience to the Bible and submission to the Holy Spirit's leading. When Jesus was in the garden before he was arrested and taken to be crucified, he's struggling with the Father about the plan. And, and he's struggling because his flesh doesn't want to go through what he's about to go through. And so we read his words in Matthew 26, where it says, in going a little farther, farther, Jesus fell on his face and prayed, saying, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Do you think Jesus prayed, not as I will, but as you will, as kind of an add-on to, 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 to bless his plans? That was for sure a surrender thing. That was for sure Jesus saying, no, 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 God, this is your plan from the beginning and I've been on board. I struggle with it, but I'm going to stick with it. That Jesus' path was directed by his obedience to his father. Paul says in Philippians 2, he says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each one of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Basically, he says, back off on your plans and make sure that you are following God's plans. Make sure that you're obeying scripture. Make sure you are actually listening to the Holy Spirit. Why should we listen to the Holy Spirit? Well, Jesus says in John 16, he says this, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, it seems like if the one who's guiding into all truth should be the one leading. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare, declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare to you. And, and, so, and so Jesus basically says, um, the Holy Spirit knows it all. <laughs> Contrary to, like, Jesus actually did say the Holy Spirit knows everything. Jesus didn't say, you know everything, <laughs> And so obviously the one who should be leading and in at the ground level of my plans and my decisions and my prayers should be the Holy Spirit. See, we have a specific mission, a narrow path and a a narrow window and a set path. And you can disagree with that or diverge from it, but really what you're in essence doing is you're walking away from Jesus at that point. And, and so, so here's kind of the self-check: Is this is your life in activity reflective of what we know to be true? Is your life in activity? Is my life in activity reflective of what I know to be true? I think that's a that's a difficult question because not because it's difficult to answer, but it's because it's difficult to accept the truth. Does my life really reflect? that my mission is discipleship, that I have a, a, a narrow window and that I have a specific path set by God for me? Kind of, sometimes. I mean, there's a lot of times that if I'm honest, I end my plans in prayer with abracadabra See, it doesn't matter what I think about your plans and it doesn't matter what you think about my plans. What's important is that Jesus will require a full accounting of your life after you've been brought out of sin and when you see him face to face. He's going to to walk through all of those things. And, And so is your life reflecting the mission? Well, how would my life be reflecting the mission? Who are you discipling? And before you say, okay, good, check on mission because I meet with a person or a couple people and I'm helping them become more like Jesus. That's great and that is, we are called to do that. But here's the problem with that is that we have defined discipleship as meeting with other Christians. Discipleship is the whole thing of bringing people into the kingdom of God. So if you are only discipling some people who already know Jesus and you're not engaging and investing in and influencing people who don't know yet Jesus and you're not discipling them, then you're not discipling. You're not on mission, period. God's kingdom grows through our discipleship. And God is about growing deep and he's about growing the kingdom wide. That's discipleship. And so if your life doesn't reflect that you're discipling, which is both of those things, then you're not actually on mission. Is your life reflecting the window, the urgency that you may not have tomorrow? What what decisions do I make? What decisions do you make today that reflect that I know that my window is limited? What am I pursuing? What What am I going after? What am I putting off? What am I ignoring? What am I prioritizing? Is your life reflecting the path? Does the Holy Spirit really have authority in your plans and your decisions and your goals? Do you really even touch base with the Holy Spirit when you make plans? And when do you? (laughs) I am really good at getting into trouble because of whatever I planned and it's not going well, then saying, God, help me through this. That's actually not doing this that's including the Holy Spirit at the end or in the middle or when you get into trouble. See, it's interesting, there's some, there's some common thinking and common questions, common statements that, that we hear almost daily about some point of our lives. So the question that people ask so often today is, when do we get back to normal? Or when do we get back what we've lost? I mean that is that has become a super common feeling. But before we answer that before you even pursue those questions, we need to do a bit of a heart check. Because what exactly are we asking to get back to? Do we want to get back to to taking life for granted? Do we want to get back to making plans arrogantly, assuming God's blessing on whatever we make decisions on? Do we want to get back to a time where we assume we would always have good health and that nothing could hurt us because of our technology? Do we want to get back to a time where we thought our prosperity and wealth would never end because we live in the United States of America and that's our right? Do we really want to call out and pray that we get back that kind of arrogant living. Listen to what Paul says in Colossians chapter 4, verse two. He says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of our time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. If that, if Colossians 4, 2 through 6, write that down, read it this week, meditate on it. If that doesn't answer our mission, our window, and our path, I don't know what does. Paul literally just spells out our mission, our window, and our path in Colossians chapter four, verses two through six. Spend some time just meditating on that this week. You see, maybe God doesn't want us to go back to normal. Normal for the disciple of Jesus is that every breath and every blessing and every plan is granted to us by God and for his mission in our window, taking his path. So the question is, are are we ready to move forward with hearts that realize that life is about the will of God? Or do we want to get back to our comfort, our stuff, our convenience? Another passage that I would recommend that you spend some time in this week is Deuteronomy chapter eight. Deuteronomy chapter eight is where Moses writes down some of what what God was doing in the desert, in the wilderness, the wandering of the Israelites between their release from Egypt and their entrance into the Promised Land. Listen to what Moses writes. He writes, the whole commandment that I command you today you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to you to give your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. Here's the thing that we need to, if you read Deuteronomy 8 in the framework of it is about humility, obedience, and testing then you will see something that maybe you've missed in reading through passages before. Because what God is saying is, look, I am keeping you in the wilderness so that I can teach you humility. How does he do that? He says says in verse three, he says, and he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna which you did not know nor did your fathers know. It might be made known to you that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Your clothing did not wear out on your foot and and your foot did not swell for these 40 years. How many people, if you are constantly for 40 years walking in the desert, in the Mojave Desert, with the same pair of shoes, how long are your shoes gonna last? Probably not 40 years. Your clothing is probably not gonna last 40 years. But here's what God said, I am humbling you because you got hungry and I'm the one who fed you. You needed clothing and I'm the one who caused your clothing to sustain. So God taught them humility by by convincing them that God is the one who provides for them. And then he said, I want you to obey me. I want you to obey what I've called you to do and so I need you to obey. Go where I tell you to go and do what I tell you to do. And he says, inevitably, there will be testing And so seeing what what God did with Israel, my place in this story in Deuteronomy 8 is this, humility, God, what do you wanna teach me in this season that I'm in? Have I, because of normal, become dependent on myself and the other things that I've been provided for from other places? Obedience, will I listen and respond quickly to God's word and the Spirit's leading? Or will I... Wait to see if it really works in my, in my best interest and my benefit. Testing, we will be tempted to go back. Israel was tempted to go back to Egypt, what we, they were familiar with. We are constantly tempted to go back to what we found the most comfort in. Am I going to trust God in the unfamiliar, the refining, the shaping, and the forming? Or will I just say, no, 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 I want want to go back? You see, God is calling us right now to evaluate and be honest about your plans and your reasons for doing what you do. Last week I had a number of conversations with people who realized that they speak out about others, not because they really want, not because it's really about Jesus, but because they really want people to be more like them. That's an important realization to have. So I wrote something down that I was gonna share this morning. And yesterday and this morning and, and, and at the end of this week, I, I'd been praying because I, I don't know why I wanna share this. I wasn't sure of my motivations. Do I wanna share this to vindicate myself or do I wanna share this because it's something that God wants us as a community to hear. And I think far too often, we only use do I believe this is true to be the criteria that we decide to say something or not say something. And frankly, do I believe this to be true is not a good criteria to say something. We actually have to take a step back and say, am I communicating this because it's about me maybe defending me or about me or making me look a certain way or is it that I'm working out of obedience because God has called me to say this for the benefit of us? And, and so I, I say that, I share that with you to understand where I'm coming from in sharing what, what, I'm, what I wanna share right now and that's this that in the Old Testament, God tells his people in Israel not to build up horses and chariots. Uh, Israel, the the only people, the only nation ever in the history of the world that actually was a nation called and set apart by God. It was a theocracy. God was their king until they demanded a king and then God gave them a king. But that king still was called to make laws and do everything purely by obeying God and using his word. No other nation is like that in history. Nations wanna be like that and claim that they're like that, but no such thing. Israel is the only one. And God told Israel not to build up chariots and horses. Why? Because their hearts would then trust the government rather than God. God is explicit about what he told them not to do. But under King Solomon, he couldn't even count his horses and chariots. so many. And what does it say the wisest man in, in, in biblical history did? His heart was divided. He didn't trust God. We need to be really careful about horses and chariots. And I don't talk about politics from this position. And, and, I, and, and I need, I wrestled with this this week and, and I need you to, un, I, I wanna share with you why that is. It's because God said not to build up horses and chariots. It's because governments, politics, ideologies will not accomplish the mission that God has called us to. That when we say vote for this person because these things will happen if we vote for that person, how many times has that worked out? How many times has our confidence in a certain person worked out that, yeah, that was, that was, that was warranted? I mean, and I'm not talking about you, because obviously you are consistent, but it's the people around you that aren't, right? And so even to say, vote for this person or vote for that person, these things will happen. That's a pretty ridiculous way to live. And here's the thing, the difference between heaven and hell is not made by political parties or judges' decisions or legislation that's passed or not passed. It is through God's people denying themselves and reaching the lost through surrender to the Holy Spirit and radical love and obedience. And God has me at the place Because of our mission of making disciples, our window that is really limited, and our path that is subject to scripture and the Holy Spirit's leading, I don't believe we have the time to be political. We are called to be the conduit of bringing dead hearts to life, and no political party can breathe life into a dead heart. Only Jesus can. And we move from Jesus to horses and chariots way too easily and way too quickly. What did God say of the the Israelites in the wilderness? I want you to be humble. And how did God get them to humility? He made them trust him alone. We can't trust the systems of the world. What did God say? He said, I want you to obey me. And he said, in your obedience, you will be tested. You will be tempted to go a different direction. But once you know you can trust me, it'll be easier to obey me. And eventually those things that I want to get back to will start to fade away and go away. We're in the wilderness and unless God's word and the Holy Spirit through the people around me or however that works, unless he gives a different understanding of the world And I can't justify distractions from the call that Jesus has given us. I think it's time for us to stop acting like we have the assurance of time to accomplish our great plans. I think it's time to let go of ourselves and grab onto radical love and obedience. I think we have to stop playing house and be about our Father's business because everything else is a distraction. It seems that we spend too much time arguing about things that when that argument is over and our moment, our window is done and we're gone, I'm not sure that in the wake of our argument will be left a new heart that is saved by the grace of God and no longer is headed to hell but headed to heaven for eternity. I wanna close this morning by reading a prayer over you. It's called the welcoming prayer and it was a prayer that was, was a historic prayer and it was, it was devised by Jesus' followers who wanted to recognize the sovereignty of God in everyday events of every day of their life that nothing came into our lives, nothing comes into our lives that God has not either allowed or put there to help us to grow in humility, obedience, and be successful in testing. It doesn't say that everything is good, but it does say that God will use everything for our healing. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I welcome everything that comes to me today because I know it's for my healing. I welcome all thoughts, feelings, emotions, persons, situations, and conditions. I let go of my desire for power and control. I let go of my desire for affection, esteem, approval, and pleasure. I let go of my desire for survival and security. I let go of my desire to change any situation, any condition, any person, or myself. I open up to the love and to the presence of God and God's action within me. Amen.